Amen. Good morning. That was weak. Amen. Good morning. There we are. All right. Listen, we are in a series in Genesis. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to take them and turn with me to page one. That's where Genesis is, the very, very beginning opening of the book. Uh, last week, we kind of went into the second section here of the introduction to the book of Genesis. Today, we're going to try to move through the first three days of creation. I contemplated like preaching you know, one day in each sermon, but I thought some of these sermons are going to just be like six minutes long, so I need to... I need to move this along a little bit. Last week we looked at, you know, the gap theory and intelligent design. We worked through some of those things. And today we're going to just kind of look at, you know, I love what Alistair Begg says. I want you to remember as you're looking at Genesis that the plain things are the main things, right? Thank you. The plain things are the main things in Scripture. So with that in mind, let's read the Word of God together, shall we? This is the Word of God, church. Hear it. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the, mind, in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. There was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the land, the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together, he called seas. And God saw that it was good. God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seeds and fruit and everything bearing fruit in which in their seeds, each according to its own kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seeds according to their own kinds and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its own, to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning the third day. Amen. May God have blessing the reading of his holy, inerrant, and infallible word. And I pray he writes his truth on all of our hearts this morning. All right, Moses is writing at a time where there's lots of competing narratives on creation. In a lot of ways, 3 through 13 does not make sense if we don't go back and read verses 1 and 2 from last week. Verses 1 and 2 are real simple. They just tell us that God uh, created. He spoke, right? And God speaks and it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Then verse 2, the earth was without form and void darkness was over the face of the deep and the Spirit of God hovered above the face of the waters. And so it, in verse 2, where we left off last time, God's Spirit is hovering above this void, dark place. You know, it's, it's hard to think about a, a planet that's completely in darkness for 24 hours. We could imagine such a world. This is where God appears. And 
It says here in verse 3, he says, let there be light. This is a golden thread. Some of you will get that. Golden thread throughout all of Scripture. I want to highlight one place that it's really important that we see. If you'll keep a thumb with me, well, you'll, you'll be able to find it. Either way, it's easy to find. It's in the front. But go to John chapter 1 for just a minute. I want you to read a couple of verses with me here, thinking about God being the light. In some ways, not only does the creation account point to us and tell us about what God was doing. This is the revelation of Himself doing the creating work of making all that there is. But we see a parallel to us, what we were before we were saved. We were uh, children of darkness. We lived in darkness. We were darkness, Scripture tells us. Look at, look at what it says here about Jesus in the first part here. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He was the beginning with God. All things that were made through Him Without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life and the, look what it says, church, light was the light of men. Verse 5, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not comprehended it. To continue in this same vein and understanding here, you flip over to Ephesians chapter 5. And in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul is sort of expressing here, the way we were. He's, he's telling the church in Ephesus to be imitators of God. And then he gives a warning here against all sexual morality, impurity, covetousness, filthiness, talk, foolish talk, crude joking, and, and tells them instead to be people of thanksgiving. And look what he says in verse 7. Therefore, or verse 6, let no one who deceives you with empty words for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Verse 7, therefore do not become partners with them for at one time you were darkness. You were darkness. But now you are light in the Lord, walking children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all this good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in unfruitful works of the darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak these things that they do in secret. So what, what are we seeing here? Well, I think in some ways, of course, this is a literal account of what happened. But it's also a picture of what God is doing over the lost hearts of individuals. Here's, here's a quick application from this implication and application. How, how do you view lost people, right? People that don't know the Lord. Like, do they annoy you? Do they just kind of like, you know, silly, silly lost goat? You ought to know better, right? You should know better than to say and do the things that you do. Scripture tells us here that we were once like that, that we were lost in utter darkness, and that God remakes hearts and sheds light into people's lives so that they will become like Him, as it says here in Ephesians, imitators, because the light has come in. And we're called to expose to the light so that those things and those works will be put away. So that is a golden thread throughout all Scripture. That would be a great study. We don't have time to get into all that, but that is a, a, little, a little hint at the things to come uh, in, in the rest of the Bible. Now, moving on. So the Spirit's hovering here, and then verse 3, God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God sent the light was good. So first of all, let me say this. In the creation narrative, you have two triads, right? So God is creating in what I believe to be two 
uh, sets of three days. And in the first three days, that first triad, he is terraforming the earth. He is making it inhabitable and livable for all life, and particularly ours here. So there's nothing that is like, you know, no human beings are made in the first three days. So he's just dealing with getting it ready. In construction terms, the materials are in place, but nothing's put up yet, right? And in this verse here, notice here, there's no mention of the sun in verse 3. There is this concept, though, that there is light, light without the sun. How is this possible, right? Well, I, you know, a lot of people want to debunk this and say, well, it didn't happen, couldn't be this way. But as an exegetical uh, person who my job and what I'm trained to do is pull out what the plain meaning of the text is. Somehow God made light without the sun. This is totally possible in Revelation. tells us that the radiance of God is what lights heaven. So it's possible that we can have light outside and there not be a sun to provide that light. Because God Himself emanates. We talked about my Sunday school class this morning. All the sections that deal with light. You know, Moses, when he saw God on Mount Zion, he comes down, his face is glowing. To be in the presence of God... The Holy One emanates light wherever He is. So He commands light and there's there. Now, something else I want to draw your attention to. Verse 5, look at this. God called the light, what church? Day. Can I give you a profound insight into what the word, the Hebrew word for day is, what it means? You ready for this? It means day in English. It's a word-for-word, one-to-one correlation. So when we say day, what do we mean? 24-hour cycle, sun comes up, sun goes down. You sleep, you get up, okay? In the Hebrew, guess what it means? 24-hour day, cycle, sun goes up, sun goes down. It's the same thing. It, it, remember what I said, plain things are the main things. We talked about this last week, but it's easier. Now, the struggle today is on... We need more time. There, surely there must be more time. You know, in Psalms it says that a day is a thousand years to the Lord and a thousand years is a day. And it does say that in a poetry section of Scripture. But I'm not approaching Genesis from a poetry interpretation perspective. I'm approaching Genesis from a historic perspective. And when the historians write that it was six days to the march on the fort and to Fort Sanders or whatever, then it was six days. You know, same thing here with the creation narrative. When it says there was morning and there was evening. And furthermore, let me ask you this in verse 5. God called the day, called the light day, and the darkness he called what, church? Night. There's two things I want, I want you to see in this. First thing I want to do is ask you a question. Why do you think verse 5 is in the scripture? Like, do you think God, like, forgot that he did this? Or did God place verse 5 in Scripture for you and for me? What do you think? Verse 5 brings clarity to the fact that this is a historic book. Because it says here, He makes a divider between night and between day. I think day means day, night means night. And there's even a further thing that is here as well. In the ancient Near East world, anytime you name something, what you're doing in naming it is claiming dominion over it. Okay? Kind of makes sense with when people get new names in the Old Testament, doesn't it? God gives them a new name. They're claiming complete dominion over them in a similar, similar fashion here. God is naming the division of light and darkness, and He's calling one day and He's calling one night. What does that mean? That means God is sovereign and in control over all things, and in particular, everything that happens in the day and everything that happens in the night. 
There's many implications and applications from this, but one minimal implication and application is this. I know it feels like things are chaotic. I know that there's like Chinese floats floating across St. Louis, Missouri. Beck, I couldn't help but think, did you know, I don't even know if we talked about this. It floated over St. Louis, right? And I just, in my mind, I have this picture of all these Jefferson County, Missouri rednecks seeing that thing floating over their house and chucking Budweiser bottles up at it, trying to, trying to knock that thing down. Like, what's up in that thing? I don't know. Throw a beer can at it. Throw a bottle at it, right? See if we can hit it probably full of the next, you know, virus or whatever it is. I saw that they exploded that thing, and I thought, has no one here seen Batman with the Joker from the 90s? Does nobody know the plot? Like, don't explode that thing near the coast. That thing's probably full of poison or something, right? I mean, golly, Bruce, uh, Jack Nicholson and Bruce Willis, they showed us what to do with those balloons, right? Take them way far away, right? Anyhow, if you don't know what I'm talking about, go watch Batman from the 90s with whatever his name was. All right, back to the text. So the day is day, night is night. There's a division here. Notice here he says he calls it good, right? And then we move on to the second day. It says, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made this expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was an evening and there was a morning the second day. So here again we see Scripture makes it very clear. There is a 24-hour time period, there's a rising of the sun, and there is a setting of the sun. And in this section that we're looking at here, God himself is separating out water from land. So let me, let me be very clear with two things as we walk away from this. I want to give you the minimal definition of what this means, and then I want to give you a theory about what I think this means. So let me give you the minimal first. What I think is happening in this verse is a couple of things. God is creating here dry land because he's planning and intending for human beings that are going to be made in his image to dwell on dry land. And so he has to separate, clear that up to make that possible for us. Otherwise, he's going to have to make us with gills if there's water everywhere, right? And we don't have gills, so he's, he's doing that. Second thing he's doing here, he's terraforming the atmosphere. Tells us there's water's going up, right? Water's going down. He's making the atmosphere breathable and hospitable for us. So that's that's the minimal bar of what this means. Now, you could stop there, and we could move on there, and it would be fine. Now, a popular theory about these verses is something called the canopy theory. Those of you who are not in my Sunday school class this morning, you don't have to raise your hand because I know the answer for you. How many of you have heard of the canopy theory before today? Everybody, anybody ever heard of this before? Some of you, one or two of you. Canopy theory was perpetuated by Dr. Morris in the early 60s in an attempt to be a return back to biblical authority, and here, here was his stance. He basically stated that there was some kind of a water covering in the upper atmosphere. This is a theory, right? So everybody say, Pastor Travis is teaching theory. Say that real quick, right? Pastor Travis is teaching theory. This is not, this is not first-tier doctrine stuff. This is secondary. But his statement was there was a water canopy above the earth, which created like a greenhouse effect for the entirety of the earth, explains why they found tropical vegetation at the poles, explains why there's water up in the upper expanse. Not clear if it was frozen 
or if it was just a liquidy water canopy that was all around. I personally think it makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense with different things. One thing in particular it makes sense for is the flood, where all the water came from when the flood happened, because the Bible says the waters in heaven broke forth, and then the waters under the earth broke forth. So you had water coming down from the sky, water coming up, that firmament from above, and the firmament from below. So it's possible that there was a covering that sort of made the earth different. So I... I, th I think that this is probably right. I think the earth has not always been the way that it is now. I think as time goes on, the effects of sin continue to ravage creation and, and make it more difficult in many ways. But we're called to, uh, we're called to you know, be good stewards. We're called to, to really creation is meant to point us to the Lord, right? And so these theories are fun and interesting and sometimes helpful, but it is still a theory. Some don't subscribe to that. So I think at a minimum, it means God's terraforming, making this ready for humans to breathe in. It's a neat thing. If you want to read more about it, I can give you more information about it. All right, moving on. Number Verse 9. Uh, <clears throat> Let the waters under the ground be gathered together. We talked about that already. Uh, God called the dry land earth. The waters were gathered together. They were called the seas. Now again, let me draw your attention back to something. Remember what I said. The, the ancient Nary's belief was that if you um, name something, you had dominion and control over that thing. You were sovereign over that thing. So, God here names the what? Yeah, He names the earth and He names the oceans, right? How many of you love going to the ocean, by the way? You love sitting by the sea? I love it. I love it. I love to stand at the shoreline and just look as far as I can see. And then I imagine to myself and I think, if you go all the way out there as far as you can see, what is it? The human, human eye can see, what, seven miles? Is it seven miles out on the ocean horizon, something like that? You can go out there seven miles... You could look all around you and there would be nothing but ocean for another seven miles. And you could just keep doing that over and over and over and over and over and over and over. The vastness of the ocean, it reminds me of the immenseness and the vastness of God. Like what building could contain a God who has dominion over the sea and the ocean? And I want you to think about this next time you go. Because one of the things about this creation narrative is this, this should inspire awe in each one of us. Like when you're, when you're at the ocean, when you're at the beach, you're taking in the smells, the saltiness, Right? And you stand there in your little toes, and you're standing right there, and the ocean ends right here, right? Right in Myrtle Beach, right? And that's the one we like to go to here. We'll always go to Myrtle Beach. or We lived in Louisville. Destin was the popular place. But it stops right there. Now, why does the ocean stop right there? Why? That's exactly right. This verse tells us. He has the dominion, and he says, this far, no further. You won't cover anymore, right? And it, it's amazing to me to hear this, you know, I, and I don't know if you think about that, but from the bottom of the Mariana Trench, the deepest part of the ocean, right, it's miles down there. I think I've talked to you about this before. We have no idea what's really down there, right? No idea what's down there. All the way up to the, the gentle rolling waves that come into the, to the Gulf of Mexico. God's in dominion and in control of it all. He named it. It is his. He determines, Right. There was a guy who used to go to church here. He's with the Lord now. His name was uh, Mr. Bricky. Mr. Bricky was in the Navy for years. And he would go down and he would dive in submarines into the ocean. And they would do this thing. He would tell me about it. And this blew my mind. To deal with the pressure, they would take a, a, a string and they would tape it in the hole. Like a straight line string, tape it across. And as you dive down into the ocean, the pressure on that vessel, guess what happened to the string that was tight and straight? It would start to sag. 
from the pressure on the vessel when it gets down there. The power and the immenseness that the ocean contains, right? How many of you all have ever gone to an area that's had a hurricane and tried to help with cleanup afterwards? You ever, you ever been there before? Anybody go down to New Orleans and see the damage after Katrina? It was unreal, the damage that the water did. And you serve a God who is in control of it all, who named that and controls it. Isn't that amazing? Does that not spark awe in your soul? Finally here, says, verse 11, he says, it was good. Let the earth sprout vegetation plants yielding seeds, fruits bearing fruit of their own kind, each according to its own, and it was so. Each brought forth vegetation, plants yielding according to their own kind, trees bearing fruit, their own seed, each according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. I want you to think about this, man. How many of y'all love fruits? Anybody in here fruitaholics? You just eat fruit every day? You like fruit? You eat it every day? I love to think about this verse. Every time, you know what this verse is meant to do? This verse is meant to, to strike an amazement and a thankfulness in your heart. Anytime you pick up a piece of fruit, and you hold it in your hand, like let's just take strawberries. You know, we're, we're uniquely positioned where we have access to a lot of really good fruit here in the South, right? I don't know if you know this or not, but people in the Midwest, like in the Northern Midwest, they have to pay a lot of money for fruit. Like you have cheap fruit here. I don't know if you realize that or not, but people in the Midwest, no cheap fruit. It's a lot, lot more expensive. We enjoy trucks from South Carolina coming in all the time with all kinds of cheap fruit for us to enjoy. Don't you love strawberries? You just pick up a strawberry, you look at that thing, and what do you see all over it? The seeds on the outside, don't you? God made, I want you to think about this for just a minute. Just, just think about what God did here in this verse. Every piece of fruit you have ever enjoyed in your lifetime, every piece of fruit you will enjoy from this day forward, God made that for you in one day. Isn't that amazing to think? One day he speaks this into existence and it is there for forever. All those little seeds perpetuating the continued growth of that. I mean, let me ask you something. Is there anything better than cold cantaloupe on a hot summer day? Some of you are saying that's gross. God will cure you when you get to heaven. He'll fix your taste buds right when you get to heaven. Anytime you pick up a piece of fruit, anytime you put a piece of fruit in your mouth and you're chewing that, any kind of veg, you know, it's always a battle at my house over vegetables, right? There, there is a house divided at the Tyler household on vegetables. Some love them, most hate them, right? Some love them, most hate them. I won't say who, but you get the point, right? But vegetables, Beck will eat them too sometimes, right, babe? Vegetables, fruit, all that God made. Anytime we pick it up, we should immediately hold that thing up. And I know we don't do this because we're so used to it just automatically being there and it being available and being fresh. But God didn't have to do any of that. Like God could have just made a mush of mess for us to eat every day that was void of taste and that was void of, of pleasure to even look at. Because, I mean, you've, you've, looked at, you've looked in the grocery store. There are some offerings of fruit that are better looking than others, right? We, we, could, have, we could have been like vultures and eating what's rotting. God did, did not design that. That was not his plan. So anytime you just hold up something simple like a strawberry in your heart and in your mind, you should immediately be sparked into awe and into gratitude. And he did it in a day. I'm going to close with this. I think I said this earlier. The competing worldview of our day is on 
is evolutionary materialism, that the earth has always been. There's not really any room, exegetically speaking, for evolution in this text, none whatsoever. I'm not a scientist, I don't claim to be a scientist, but I don't see any room for, for that at all. Macroevolution of things changing one into another, it's not there. We want to put more time. What's amazing in the temptation today is we want to kind of bend to the, to the worldly view of the day. You know, Moses didn't start out saying, well, you know, I know the Canaanites and all these different religions have competing worldviews and we've got to be sensitive to what the Canaanites believe, right? It's not how Moses wrote this. It's like, no, this is what happened. This is how God said he did it. This is how it went down. You know, we want to insert days. We want to insert time to make it more palatable to our, our generation of people and the competing narrative is there. But it wasn't always that way. You know, the early church fathers, if you go back and read what they wrote about creation, you know what you're going to find? Christians in their day had a hard time believing it took six days for God to make creation. They thought that was too long. You read the early church fathers, and the many of them, like Augustine, argued for an instantaneous creation. They, they wanted God to have done it in one day or less than a day. There's always pressures from the culture to change the narrative to what we think is best and to make it more palatable. But the reality of Scripture is we must let it speak as it speaks because this is what God has said. So today, when we walk away from this text, we should be praising God. We should be moved by the fact that He made this formless void earth into all the beauty that it is, that He's making voided hearts that are in darkness into a creation greater still. We should be thankful that God has revealed to us many parts of what He did. This is not a science textbook, but it's pretty clear. Day means day, night means night. We should be in awe that He made all these things, the atmosphere that you breathe every time you take a breath and every time you eat a piece of fruit. You should be amazed at the God you worship and serve. It should spark in you gratitude and wonder that you keep the entirety of your life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, we thank you for this text. And Lord, we know there's a continual pressure to conform to this present age and to this world to make room for competing creation narratives. But we know you're calling us to something different. You're calling us to something that is true to someone who is truth. Help us, Lord, to be that light to those who are formless and void and without you. Help us, God, to spread this truth and help us to be just inspired in all of the Creator God that you are, that we serve. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you're here today, it's not by accident. If you're joining us online or you're joining us here in person, do you know this Creator God? Do you know this Jesus that we read about in Genesis who was here in Genesis 1, 1 through 13 that we read this morning? Do you know Him personally? The Bible tells us today is the day of salvation. Don't delay. Come and know Him now. If you don't, I'll be in the back to receive you as we sing. Please stand as we sing in response to the gospel preached. Thank you.